that we make that one a song of the month too. <laughs> Open your Bibles, if you would, to Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 2, if you're using the black Bibles there in the chairs, it's uh, page 324, uh, Esther chapter 2. Last week, uh, <clears throat> we started a series on the book of Esther. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the book of Esther is an interesting book. And I want to give you a few facts about the book of Esther uh, that you may not know. Uh, uh, the, the name of God is not mentioned anywhere in the pages of this book. Uh, I found out this morning, I, I, I probably already knew this and had forgotten, but there, there, there are two books in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. Esther is one. Does anybody know what the second one is? Okay, the second one, and I found out this morning, is the Song of Solomon. Uh, it's it's uh, the name of God's not mentioned there either. Uh, and so uh, you can do the research and f- try and figure out why. Uh, I think I know why the book. Of, it's not in the book of Esther, but anyway, we'll get there sooner or later. Uh, Mordecai and Esther, the the two main characters in this book, <clears throat> uh, remained uh, at Shushan the palace. Um, Uh, in voluntary exile. Uh, Mordecai and Esther were cousins. Mordecai was the older cousin and uh, took care of Esther, obviously the younger cousin. And I I don't know, I I found this to be interesting. The name Esther, it was, is her Persian name. It's not her Hebrew name. Uh, It is her Persian name and it means star. Okay? Star? You know, like those little... Things that flicker up in the sky. Hadadasha <laughs> uh, is her Hebrew name. Hadadasha. At least that's the best way I can say it. I'm probably butchering it. Uh, Hadassah. Okay, so I did. I did get it wrong. Hadassah uh, is her Hebrew name. Uh, uh, Hadassah means myrtle which also puts forth star-shaped flowers. I, I just, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, you know, doesn't mean anything. I just think it's cool. Um, but uh, anyway, another interesting fact is that the book of Esther fits between the sixth and seventh chapter of the book of Ezra. So if you're, if you're familiar with the book of Ezra, then somewhere between chapters, well, really five to seven, the the events of the book of Esther took place. So I have a I have a chart for you. You got that for me? Oh, it didn't come out. Oh, stink. Oh man, I'm I'm sorry. I had a chart for you, but apparently it didn't transfer through the internet. Um, uh, it, it, because I'm a visual learner, uh, timelines and charts uh, help me visualize things. Um, but anyway, hopefully next week I'll try to. Okay, let's. Let... There we go. Okay, good. Um, so here is a timeline uh, of the Old Testament, and right here you'll see the uh, period of the kings, and then you have the Babylonian exile, and then you have the post-exile. Right here, 
and, and those of you that are sitting over here, I'll, I'll do it this way too. Right here you have Ezra, Nehemiah, or Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. They were all contemporaries. Uh, they were all alive at the same time. And, and Daniel, uh, to the best of my knowledge, died somewhere about right here. Well, over here, I'll put it here. He died somewhere about here. So uh, Daniel, uh, by the time the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther were written, Daniel was off the scene. But you have to understand, and this is, this is where the book of Esther is it's important to understand this, that the, uh, the period of exile here is, and this uh, post-exile are really the same event. What happened was in 586, <clears throat> anybody know the king that conquered Jerusalem? Uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar took uh, control of Jerusalem in 586 BC and took that, and that's when Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all those people went into exile in the first wave. Uh, uh, Nehemiah and Esther uh, were in, were in this, the second wave. Okay, so it's the same event just years later. Okay, so it's you kind of you kind of have to put it all together in order to understand it. If that does that make sense? Okay, so so the entire story here, the book of Esther revolves around a single verse, and that is chapter four, verse fourteen. <clears throat> the Bible says in chapter four, verse fourteen, uh, uh, Mordecai is talking to Esther here. Uh, well, actually, he's talking to Esther through through a, a third party. But it, it, anyway, the verse says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there be uh, enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? One of the most Famous statements in all of Scripture is the end of of this of this passage, <clears throat> uh, and and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So <clears throat> again, understanding the Book of Esther, you have to kind of understand the history, what's going on, and so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> it's really important, though that we get into the purpose of the book. And, well, let, let, me, let me see if I can explain it. The book of Esther is not about Esther, Mordecai, uh, the king, uh, Xerxes, or even Haman, the, the villain in the story. The problem is, when we read the book of Esther, we get so consumed with the story that we forget to look for the purpose of the book. Does that make sense? Because it's a, it's a really cool story, is it not? 
I mean, and we can get so consumed with the story, we forget to look for the purpose. And the purpose of the book of Esther is to demonstrate the providence of God. That's the whole purpose of the book. What is, what is the providence or the sovereignty of God? Uh, it's really, the, it's one and the same. The providence of God, the sovereignty of God, it's, it's really the same thing. But it is God guiding in the affairs of men. Now, God is, the, the, the book of Esther, God is going to use Mordecai, more specifically Esther, to possibly save hundreds of thousands of Jews. Now, I don't want to give away the story. That's not my point here. But <clears throat> it is important we understand what's going on. So I want, to, I want to take a minute here and talk about the sovereignty or the providence of God. Oftentimes, as a pastor, I get asked, why did God allow this to happen? And then before, oftentimes, before I even have a chance to answer the question, I get a follow-up question almost, almost always. And the follow-up question is this. Couldn't he have stopped, and then you fill in the blank? How do you answer that? Well, first off, we need to understand that God did not create us to be a bunch of little robots that he moves around on a chessboard. That's not how God works. But he gives us a free will to choose. We have the, we have the right and the, and the ability to choose to do right or to do wrong. I want to, if I can, well, before, before I tell the story, I want to I read Esther chapter 4, verse 14 again. And I want to point out something because... <clears throat> Oftentimes we get so consumed with the, with the last part of this verse that we miss the first part. So please see if you can find the sovereignty of God in, in verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their uh, enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from where? Another place. In other words, what God is saying here uh, through Mordecai is, hey, if you don't do it, then God will use someone else. See, that is, the, that is a perfect picture of the sovereignty of God. See, and then, then Mordecai goes on, and then that's when he, then he the, <clears throat> excuse me, and then that's when he says at the end of the verse, who knoweth, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, what is Mordecai encouraging Esther to do? Mordecai is encouraging Esther, hey, let God use you. Okay? The sovereignty or the providence of God. Most of you know that a few weeks, maybe, when did I go to the capital, the capital connection? About, okay, in March. In March, I was, 
privileged to be a part of what is known as Capital Connection. It's where pastors from all over the country uh, descend on Washington, D.C., and uh, we, we reach out to our, our state representatives and senators and so on and so forth. And, and um, I was able to meet with uh, uh, one of our senators uh, and, and uh, one of our uh, House of Representatives. I was able to sit, meet with, with uh, uh, Mark Amaday. And <clears throat> Mark Amaday is, is uh, in the House of Representatives. And... <clears throat> When, when, when there was another pastor with me, but as we walked into his office, you could tell by his demeanor that <clears throat> he was only doing this because he had to. You, you know what I'm saying? He just, he had that, okay, let's get this over with kind of, kind of, kind of demeanor. And when we walked in, what we do is we present them with a with a gift and every year it's a book of some sort but every year and why they do this i don't know but it's always bound in the same binding but it's a different book i i I guess it's so that they can collect a set i i I don't know but it's a beautiful book it's a in in and actually i i have a copy of it um but anyway two years prior to my visit last march <clears throat> another pastor, because I wasn't there two years ago, another pastor was sitting in Mark Amaday's office and had presented him with the, the same binded book, but it was a Bible. It wasn't a book, but it looked the same. <clears throat> so <clears throat> when, when I walked in and introduced myself and the other pastor introduced himself, I handed him what he thought was the exact same book that he had gotten two years ago. But it, it wasn't. It just looked the same. And immediately the facade dropped. And he says, I know who you are. And I'm like, we've never met. I would know if I had met the, you know, Mark Amity, the representative for the state of Nevada. And he says, you were in my office two years ago, weren't you? And we we both said, no, sir, we, we were not. But we know the pastor that was with you two years ago. He happens to be a pastor down in Las Vegas. And he said, gentlemen, please have a seat. And we sat there and talked to him for 45 minutes. That is unheard of but let me tell you the rest of the story like Paul Harvey would say <laughs> now's the rest of the story two years previously as that pastor was sitting in his office talking to the representative his secretary came in which ne- that's rule number one you never interrupt but she came in and said sir you have a phone call you need to take. Sitting in his office, the day that he found out that his mother passed away, the very moment that he found out that his mother had just died, that pastor was sitting in his office and was able to pray with him 
and spend some time with him at a very critical moment in his life. That is the that is the sovereignty of God. That is the sovereignty of God. I, I, I could not think of a better illustration to illustrate the, the, the providence or the, the sovereignty of God. See, oftentimes what happens when thing when things happen in our lives, we we ask the question, why? What is the what is the reason for this? Why why do I have to go through this? Why did this person get taken away from me? Why did why did this happen? Or I mean, you fill in the blank. But we always want to know the reason why. But instead, if we understand the sovereignty of God, we should not be asking the the reason. We need to start looking for the purpose. What is the purpose of this happening? See, because the reason, the answer to the, to the question for reason focuses on me. But if we stop and think and look for the reason or the purpose, excuse me, the answer to that focuses on God. Why was that pastor in, the, in that office at that moment? The 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 reason is not important. The purpose is very clear. God wanted a man of God in that man's office the moment that he found out his mother passed. See, that's the sovereignty of God. And if we're going to understand the book of Esther, it is only going to be because we understand that God wants to accomplish his purpose through his people. Not your purpose, but his purpose. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. Uh, there is no attitude of God, uh, excuse me, attribute of God uh, more uh, comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. In other words, God's got it under control. Let's start reading in the book of Esther, chapter 2, in verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 2. After these things, when the wrath of the king Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants uh, that uh, ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of, of, of the women, and to the custody of uh, Hegi, uh, the king's chamberlain, uh, keeper of the women, and let their things uh, uh, for purification be given them. <clears throat> and let the maiden which pleaseth the king uh, be queen instead of Ashdai. Uh, and that uh, and the and the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, uh, the son of uh, Shimei 
the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away uh, with uh, Jehoiah, king of Judah, uh, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up uh, Hadadah, how do you say that? Hadassah, that is Esther, uh, his uncle's daughter, and she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when uh, her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, <clears throat> and when the maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace, to the custody of uh, Haggai, uh, uh, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, the keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her things of purification, which such things as belongeth to her, and the seven maidens which were uh, uh, meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best of, uh, best place of the house of the women. And verse 10, And Esther had not shown uh, her people no, nor her kin, kindred, for Mordecai charged her that she should not show it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I just ask as we look at the Word of God this morning that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us to see and to know how important the sovereignty of God is in our lives. Help us, dear God to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Choosing a New Queen. Choosing a New Queen. Now, in case you were not here last week, I just want to very quickly bring you up to speed of what, what, has, what happened in chapter 1. And that is that the king tried, he, he, for, uh, for six months, he tried to put on display his riches and all his power to influence the, the princes and the, and, the, and the rulers of all of his provinces, the 127 provinces under his control, that because he wanted to invade the nation of Greece, and by doing that, he would then, for all intents and purposes, become the ruler of the world. Uh, the only great power uh, that was not under his control at the time was the nation of Greece, and so he wanted to take on that, that, that country, defeat it, and then he would then become the ruler of the world. Now his father, who tried to do it also, uh, was defeated when, tried to, when he tried to take Greece, but um, Xerxes was convinced that he could do it. At the end of this six-month period of, of showing off, uh, he had a drunken uh, party uh, for, that lasted a week, and then the last day of that party, uh, he called for his queen to show her off, if you would, and she refused to come. And he banished her uh, for life. He was not allowed ever to see her again. And, and th th this plays in critical to uh, chapter 2, verse 1, 
because in chapter 2, verse 1, we see him mourning for her. Um, and there is a four-year period of time between chapters 1 and 2. Uh, and then in that four-year period of time, he does go to war against Greece. He gets soundly defeated. His navy's destroyed. His armies are uh, obliterated in, in one, literally in one fell swoop. And he loses basically everything. He comes back to the palace. That's when he realizes how much he misses his wife. And he starts to pine for her or to regret his decision of, of, of banning her forever. So the, now, now that we're up to speed, <clears throat> look at verse 2. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be a fair virgin sought for the king. So basically here, point number one, I want to look at his counselors for a few minutes because it's important that we get a hold of this because uh, there's some, some really good insight here. Uh, <clears throat> the key word in, in verse 2 of chapter 2 is the word ministered. His counselors ministered to him. So that means that they were trying to help him. They were there and they saw the mood swings and the, 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 the depression and the loneliness and all of the things that were go, taking place. And, and as, as, as uh, Xerxes or uh, Ahasuerus here in the scriptures uh, says, he, he, he mourned his wife. And, and because the, his counselors were ministering to him, they were concerned. So what did they do? Uh, they do here. They, they tried to get his mind off of Ashtai. So by doing this, they say, you know what? Let's do this. Let's just let's just have uh, all all of the fair maidens in in your kingdom uh, come to you, and you can pick uh, one to replace your queen Vashti that you miss. So there's something really important here, and and, and I want to I want to I want to kind of get this out here. I don't care if you're a Christian or not; it doesn't matter. Depression, mood swings, and loneliness are a real thing. And we all deal with it. Every single one of us. And I could stand here and say, you know what? You need to snap out of it. Because, you, you know, you, you've heard the old saying, oh, there's always somebody has it worse than you. Well, that, that's, that's, that, that's ridiculous. That, that's poor counseling. Don't ever say that to someone who's in the midst of a hard time. The best way to get somebody who's going through a difficult hard, uh, time, depression, loneliness, I mean, you name it, is to get their minds doing something else. Because that, that then, what does that do? That, that does not allow them the opportunity to dwell on themselves. And when we dwell on ourselves, what happens? We just keep digging a deeper hole, do we not? And the deeper that hole gets, the harder it is to get out of it. So, so his counselors here were really doing a good thing, if you would. Now, I have heard this, this passage preached on multiple occasions, and, and oftentimes I've heard it referred to as a beauty contest. I'm here to tell you that that's not what was taking place. It was not a beauty contest. <clears throat> and I say that because... The king had a very large harem. Y'all know what that is? Do you think they let, excuse me, not attractive women 
to be part of a harem? No. He was surrounded by beautiful women. So it's not a beauty contest. So then you, the, the next logical question is, okay, what was it? Look at verse 4. <clears throat> and when he showed, uh, when, when he showed, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong chapter. Sorry about that. Um, and let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen. Circle underlying the word pleaseth. What did the king, why was the king so depressed to begin with? Well, it was his own fault, but he missed his best friend. He had, no, he had nobody to talk to. He did not have that companion. And that's what he needed. He did not need another beautiful woman in his life. Exactly. He just, he needed somebody that he, the word pleaseth here has the idea of just commune with. He needed, he needed a friend. He needed, he needed somebody to be able to talk with. Number two, let's talk about Mordecai for a minute. Verses five and six of our passage here. And uh, now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, uh, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, uh, a Benjamite who had uh, been carried away from Jerusalem with uh, the captivity, which had been carried away from uh, anyway, so on and so on and so on. So uh, can we put that chart back up, Chris, please? I want this is this is key that we get a hold of this because this is this is important to the to the entire book of Esther. This date right here, 515 BC, right here, 515 BC. <clears throat> Can anybody tell me what happened there? It's actually right here. The restoration of the land happened in 515 BC. In the book of um, hold on, I, I haven't written down here. Um, in the book of Ezra, Ezra, excuse me, in the book of Ezra, chapter one, <clears throat> the king, whose name is Cyrus, gave the land or gave Jerusalem back to the Jews in 515. Now, if you look really hard, I don't know if you can see it in this chart, <clears throat> but the, the line here is after 515. So in other words, the question becomes to Mordecai, why are you still at Shushan at the palace? What, 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 what should every good Jew have done? Gone back to Jerusalem. So here we see that the, the restoration of land takes place in 515 B.C. And sometime after that, the book of Esther takes place in chapters 5 to 7, somewhere in there, of Ezra. Now, that I, I did 
didn't think to check the time, the, the, the actual dates of it, but because it's really not that important. But it's in what is critical here is that we understand that every good Jew went back to Jerusalem. So what does that make Mordecai? Not a good Jew. Now does it make sense why there, God is never mentioned in the book? Nowhere in the book of Esther is Mordecai or Esther ever talking to God or talking about God. Look at verse 10. Esther had not showed her uh, people nor her kindred. In other words, Mordecai had told her, do not reveal the fact that you're a Jew. They had not kept a kosher home. They had not obeyed the law of Moses. They had not followed the dietary laws. They had not kept uh, 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 the rules of separation in worship. Nowhere in the book of Esther is, is there any indication that, that any kind of worship to God ever took place. There, had they kept a kosher home and had they lived to the law of Moses and the dietary restrictions and all of these things, <clears throat> it would have been discovered that they were Jews. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's important because Esther would have never been chosen as queen had they known her true nationality. She had to have been of Persian descent in order to be the king's queen. Now, I want to compare two people here. I want to compare <clears throat> Daniel with Mordecai. Okay? This is a good comparison because they were very similar situations, were they not? They were both taken from Israel to Babylon. They were both captives. Now, they, they were not... Well, they, were, they could have been contemporaries... Uh, Mordecai uh, was probably old enough that he probably, their lives probably overlapped a little bit. But <clears throat> <clears throat> the point here is their lives run a similar parallel track. They were both Jewish. They were both taken captive. <clears throat> and they both ended up in Shushan. Now, Mordecai chose to stay. Daniel was exiled against his will. He had no choice. See, Daniel died before 515 B.C. So he had no choice. Mordecai had a choice. He chose the things of the world over the things of God. The second comparison is Mordecai decided to blend in where Daniel chose to stand out. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Well, what is Mordecai and Esther doing? They're eating the king's meat. 
nor with the wine that which he drank. Wherefore, he uh, <clears throat> requested the prince of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel was concerned about defiling himself uh, through the dietary restrictions of the Jews. Mordecai and Esther could care less. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, and now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, uh, he went into his house with his windows being opened to the chamber uh, toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. Daniel did not care what the other people thought. He knew that if he was to, to do this very uh, uh, prayer that he had been doing for years, that he would end up in the den of lions. But he didn't care. He was, not a will, he was not afraid to stand up and say, the God of heaven is in control. But Mordecai wanted to blend in. As I, as I was studying for this and I started realizing the parallels between Mordecai and Daniel, this thought came to me. And I tell you, I didn't like the answer. The, I didn't like the, the answer to the question. But this was the question that God put in my heart. What kind of a Christian are you? Are you a Mordecai, a Mordecai Christian or are you a Daniel Christian? Are you trying to blend into the world and not stand out, not make waves? Or are you like Daniel, say, you know what? God's got it. God's got it. I'm going to live for him. I don't care what people think. I want to make a statement here, and I hope you understand it. Mordecai was more like Lot than he was Daniel. Think about that. Mordecai was more like Lot than he was Daniel. Look at verse 19 of our passage. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 19. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. What does that say? Just like Lot, he was a high government official. Sitting in the king's gate. And the, the king's gate is, makes reference to basically Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. He would be equivalent to a, uh, to a Mark Amaday or a, a, a Cortez Masto senator or representative. He was in the highest part of government. He sat in the king's gate. He was an advisor to the king. See, Mordecai was more concerned about his reputation and, the, and keeping the things of this world than he was standing for God. That's why I say he was more like Lot than he was Daniel. How very sad. How very sad. Let's look at Esther, number three, Esther. <clears throat> Verses seven and nine, we see, well, let, let, let's, let's just say, and they, uh, <clears throat> man, it, I keep going back to chapter one. Um, uh, verse seven, it says, and he brought up Hadadassah, uh, uh, whatever, uh, that is Esther, uh, his uncle's daughter, and she had neither father nor mother, 
uh, and the maid was fair and beautiful. Now I want to talk about this for a second because this this really is kind of important to the whole story. The word fair here literally means that she had an outward beauty. It's the word fair is referring to her out outward appearance. She was very beautiful to look upon. The word beautiful here has to do with the inside. So not only was she beautiful to look on, but she was a beautiful countenance. She just had that, 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 uh, um, the, the word literally means agreeableness or to be agreeable. She was just one of those kind of people you could just sit down and talk to. So, so literally she was beautiful from the inside out. She also trusted her older cousin. Again, I, I want to go back to the fact that this is not a beauty contest. As, as, I, as I started reading and, and, and different commentators and, and all, everybody agreed that, that basically what was taking place here is the, as the king's servants were going out and, and rounding up all these pretty women, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> the women had a choice. They did not have to go. But the problem was, if they defied the king's order, uh, then they would kill him on the spot. So they had a choice. <laughs> Not much of a choice, but they had a choice. But, but think about this. See, what would happen to the women that were rejected? Were they let, to, were they let go to, to go home? No. They were turned over into the harem. So these women would spend a life of in slavery, basically. Never have an opportunity to have a family of their own. Never have an opportunity, probably never to ever go home and see their parents again. I, I can't help but wonder how many of them rushed out to the first guy they saw and said, hey, let's get married. <laughs> Quick. I, I, I can't I honestly I, I, I bet that happened a lot because they they knew what would happen if they went into the palace. They would never return. And way too often when we read this story, we get caught up in this this fact that it's a it's a it's a beauty contest and 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 that that Esther is going to to present herself to the king and if she loses, well she, you know, she loses and goes home. That's not what would happen. Her life literally is at stake. I want to talk about three other people that are caught up in, in all of this. In the book of Daniel, Daniel, when Daniel makes his stand to stand strong, he, he has three friends that stand with him. Anybody know their names? Okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, <clears throat> and they too stand strong. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, they had defied the orders of the king, just like Daniel had done. But they just did it a little bit more publicly. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down 
uh, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and arose in, in haste and spake and said to his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound uh, in the midst of the fire? Let me stop right there. Not only did they throw three men in, but the guards that threw them in died because of the heat of the fire. They answered and said unto the king, O king, he, uh, uh, he, answered, uh, uh, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The truth is this, when we will stand for God, God will be there with us. It is called the sovereignty of God. But Mordecai and Esther were more concerned about about protecting themselves than they were for standing for God. It is no, it is, it is, I totally understand why God does not put his name in this book. The question then becomes, why would God overlook the unfaithfulness of Mordecai and Esther to accomplish his purpose? Because does not not God use these two people to save literally hundreds of thousands of Jews? Yes, he does. Why? Why? Why wouldn't he go find a Daniel? Why wouldn't he find somebody who is faithful to him? That, that's, a, that's an incredible question. And to be perfect, I don't have an answer for it. But I do know this. Why would God use me? Why would God use you? Because the reality is, most of us, and I'm including me in this, are more like Mordecai than we are Daniel. And God still uses men to accomplish his purpose. Just like he can use you and I. I think back to the meeting that I had with (coughs) Representative Amade. And I started thinking about it. And you know what? What was the purpose of the, of, of the two years ago meeting? Was it so that that pastor could be there for Mark Amaday in, in, in a time of need? I, I believe that that's part of the purpose. But I also believe part of the purpose happened two years later when I walked through that door. The fact that he sat down and talked to us for 45 minutes. He even said at some, at some point, he's like, you know what, I, I shouldn't be doing this, but I don't care. He said, I, and, and sure enough, we walked out and, and his waiting room was full of people. And you know what we talked about? High school football. And I had the opportunity to invite him to come to our church. And, and this is what he told me. He said, he said, Pastor Lynn, he said, I don't know when, but one day I will visit your church. What was the purpose of that meeting two years earlier? 
Did it stop right then? No, it, it, it is continuing. And if he ever does walk through those doors, it, it will go back to that two years ago meeting. See, so often we ask the question, why? Instead of, what is the purpose? And we get so consumed of the here and now, we forget to step back and take a, try, try our best to see the whole picture. Most of you know, and I need, to, I need to close, but most of you know that my wife and I went to a pastor's conference up in Oregon uh, last uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. On Wednesday coming home, we stopped in Idaho and visited <clears throat> Carolyn Ortega. Some of you know her, some of you don't. But Carolyn Ortega is due June 3rd with their sixth sixth child. Three weeks ago, her husband died in a tragic accident. Can you imagine being that pregnant and not having a husband? I can't... she, She kept asking, why? I don't know. I don't know. Why? What do you say? I I don't know. But I do know this. God is in control. I I can't, I can't. In, In 10 years, I might can answer the question. I I may not even be able to answer it in 20 years. I don't know. But I know this. I can pillow my head at night. I don't care what's going on in Washington, D.C. I don't care what's going on in Carson City. I don't care what's going on in the world. I can pillow my head at night and know that my God is in control because of his sovereignty. And that's what this book is all about. Again, this book is not about the characters in the book. This book is about the sovereignty of God alive and well in our lives. I don't have all the answers. I don't even pretend to have all the answers. But I do know this. God is in control. God is in control. Let me close with this. Very simple, simple thoughts. Where's your hope? This morning, hope thou in God, the Bible says. Don't search for the reason, search for the purpose, because there is a purpose. We just don't always see it. And then number number three, let me close with this challenge. What kind of a Christian are you? Are you a Mordecai Christian? Or are you a Daniel Christian? What an incredible, incredible contrast for us this morning. Are we going to spend our lives blending in and getting along with people so that nobody really knows you're a Christian? Or are you going to be bold and stay and say, you know what, I don't care what people think, I'm going to live for God. You're going to be one or the other. Let's pray.